Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to this weekly Torah study from New Beginnings Church in Bedford, Texas, taught by Pastor Scott Sigmund. We pray this message will help you better understand how God's Old Testament wisdom and New Testament revelation are meant to jointly fit together. Today's Torah study, uh, it really exemplifies the relevancy of God's Word that He gave Moses 3,500 years ago, but it is so true and so needed today. We're in Torah portion, uh, oh, oh, I didn't write down what number we're at. What Torah portion are we in? I don't know, 20 something, 25 maybe. Uh, but it's in Leviticus 16 through Leviticus 18. Uh, and, uh, Leviticus 16 begins, uh, with a description of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Leviticus 16 could be and is one of the great chapters in all the Bible because it describes the work of Jesus Christ and the seven places that Jesus shed his blood, uh, through the Yom Kippur sacrifice and what the high priest did. That's Leviticus 16. How many times did Jesus shed his blood? Seven. And we need to learn that revelation. That's one of Pastor Larry's great revelations. And on uh, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, he preached that. And it was powerful. And you can go back and see that service on the YouTube channel. Uh, And uh, uh, it's uh, the holiest day. On God's calendar, when sins are forgiven, who's thankful your sins are forgiven? But it's also when curses are broken. There's a penalty for sin. The wages of sin costs us something. And the wages of sin is death, and it brings with it curses that uh, incrementally lead us to death. Death at different levels. And so God's saying, when you come to me, I'm going to forgive sins, break curses, and reconnect you to the covenant promises that I have given you from the beginning. Beginning of time. And these things are released upon individuals, on families, and also on a nation. Thank God America has been one nation under God. Amen. We were founded on that principle, and uh, let's not let some other group with a different vision change that to one nation under secular government. Who's for that? No one. Amen. So we need to uh, understand all these things. Now let me uh, share this, that it's no coincidence that God connects the holiest day of the year, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, on His divine calendar and in this Torah study with His laws on forbidden relationships and especially forbidden sexual relationships. And in his laws, he begins to define, especially in Leviticus 18, what constitutes sexual immorality, what constitutes sin in the eyes of God. And for Christians, believe me, Leviticus 18 isn't legalism. 
If the world comes in and tries to teach you opposite of what God is defining in Leviticus 18, we as the church can't sit around and say, oh, that's been abolished. That's legalism. Uh, you'll, uh, if you agree that uh, sexual immorality is not legalism, shout amen. Amen. <laughs> amen. So it's an interesting combination of two different themes. Holiness, atonement, redemption, Yom Kippur, uh, with uh, what constitutes forbidden relationships. Some things are still taboo. Amen? And, and so, the simple lesson in today's study is that uh, becoming a holy person is controlling your desires. Amen? We're all created with basic human desires. We all have basic human instincts, uh, including a sexual drive. But if a person doesn't learn to consciously control those sexual urges, those desires, and many, de- not just uh, sexual, but uh, in terms of how we're eating, how we're spending, how we're living, there's all kinds of basic human desires. You can go into the internet and pull up a chart of the hierarchy of human needs and, and, uh, all All of those are real, but they don't need to control us. If we don't control and learn to control, it's a process to be sure. If we don't learn to control these things, soon they will begin to control us. And we're seeing that in our society today. But this is why God gave us the Torah, why God gave us the Bible, why God laid down the law on certain things, so that we could have boundaries and standards. And those boundaries and standards are meant to govern our desires, not for the desires to govern us. Now the person who regulates and directs his desires, God's way is going to elevate themselves into what we call holiness. We serve a holy God. Amen? But the person who casts that to the wind uh, is ultimately going to be led into a life of immorality and sin, and it ain't going to look too good. And what we're seeing right now, how many of you in your BC days had an area of your life, whatever area of your life, a little bit out of control? Yeah. God wants to bring that back into line with His Word so that uh, we're not being controlled by the flesh, uh, but we are controlling our flesh. Amen? You know, and uh, this is one of the reasons that God gave the commandment of circumcision to Abraham. As the father of many nations, God expected Abraham and the seed of Abraham to reproduce certain spiritual and moral attributes. Okay? So it's symbolic when we study Abraham and this uh, uh, concept, this principle of circumcision, that we're entering into a covenant with God 
that we agree to circumcise out of our lives certain sinful, immoral practices. That's what Christians do. That's the Judeo-Christian life. Don't tell me that's legalism. And don't say it's too hard. God's given us His Word, His Holy Spirit, the church. And Jesus said, I will build my church so that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. How many of you are a prevailing people today? An overcoming people? What we're talking about and what the Torah brings up in uh, this week's study, especially in Leviticus 18, uh, uh, this is where all of that applies. Amen? And so, uh, the choice presented this week in Torah is pretty stark. It's, are you going to be controlled by the Spirit of God as He lays out in Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the holiest day of the year? Or are, uh, are you or whoever going to just give themselves over to illicit activities? How many of you choose God's way? I see that hand, that hand, that hand. Even at home on Zoom, I see that hand. So go with me to verse 1, Leviticus 18, verse 1. Uh, Let's just read a little of this. The Lord said to Moses, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. I am the Lord your God. So do not act like the people in Egypt, where you used to live, or like the people of Canaan, Where I am taking you. So whether it used to be or what's going to be, God is saying, follow my instructions. No matter where you're at, be in God's will. And he says you must not imitate their way of life. Amen? You must obey all my regulations and be careful to obey my decrees. For I am the Lord your God. Who, who has Jesus as Lord? Amen. Then there's things to follow. There's the ways of God we need to imitate. If you obey my decrees and my regulations, you will find life through them. I am the Lord. That's from the New Living Testament. Now, as I was reading this, uh, all of a sudden I got in my spiritual DeLorean and uh, went way back to the 80s. We got saved in the 80s. We were saved in a church in Seattle, Washington uh, in 1984. And uh, the foundational scripture for the church we got saved in, Romans 12.2. And I realized that what God was laying out in Leviticus 18 is a scriptural equivalent, a sister scripture to Romans 12.2. And Romans 12.2 says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Don't walk like an Egyptian. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then 
you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Who wants to do what's good, pleasing, and perfect in the eyes of God? Well, then let God transform you into a new creation, a new person, uh, by changing the way you think. What's your worldview? What are your opinions? What are you always arguing for? What are you convicted of? What are you convinced of? What are you fully persuaded of? Amen. And if it doesn't line up with the Word of God, we change it. And that's where spiritual warfare comes in. There's a struggle there. It doesn't all happen automatically. Uh, it's interesting because I went back and I pulled out uh, the pastor's book. He wrote the book, Renewing the Mind. It's back in 1984. When we got saved, he just wrote the book, Renewing the Mind by Casey Tree. And he writes in his book that the word uh, for transform, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, uh, in, in Greek is the word metamorphosis. And it's the word that describes the transformation process from a caterpillar to a butterfly. Imagine that. The caterpillar in the cocoon has to break free from the things that have bound it in that cocoon until they finally get themselves, and the butterfly then begins to fly. That's a picture of what God is doing in our lives in this transformation process. The devil has had you chained. The devil has had you bound. But God says, I will set the captive free. But it takes a process. God wants to transform us from what we used to be into a new creation. Give us new desires, a new vision, new focus, new priorities. Okay? Uh, and it affects our spirit, soul, and body. First Thessalonians 5 talks about being sanctified. Spirit, soul, and body. That's a real theological word, sanctified, uh, for separating us from sin. The caterpillar transforms and is separated from the way it used to be and out of that cocoon into something that soars, that flies, and God wants you to soar and fly into a new destiny. But we need to be transformed, and that's where sanctification comes in. And when we do that, we prove the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Amen? Amen. Now, sometimes people that you know will debate you over all this stuff. And they'll debate whether God's laws apply, whether it's legalism, or if they're uh, in the church, or if they're secular, that uh, the Bible, ah, that, that, that's all fantasy, fables, myths, and legends. Uh, and then when it comes to changing, whether you're in the church or not, we'll, there'll be great debate. Well, that's just the way I am. I was born this way. Well, maybe you were born that way. But that's why Jesus said, you must be born again. I was born that way. 
I was born with these desires. I was born uh, with, with these instincts. Yeah. Now get born again. And become a new creation and get into God's transformation process so that what you were, you no longer are. It's called being a new creation. And it comes in different stages. Doesn't all happen over. I guess potentially it happens. And in your spirit, that happens in an instant, that reborn process. You're immediately forgiven. You're immediately saved. You're immediately on your way to heaven. This day you will be with me in paradise, Jesus said to the thief on the cross. But there's a next stage. All right? We know this. Working out your salvation is the next stage. And that means renewing your mind. Alright? This is the way I used to think. This is the brain I got. And this is the brain God wants me to have. And so, this happens in your soul, not your spirit. You know, your spirit and soul are part of the inner man, part of your heart. The Word of God helps us to divide which is which, but your soul is different than your spirit. Your soul is your mind, emotion, and wills, your thinking, your attitude, your personality. That's your soul. And when you're born again, your spirit is instantly changed, but your soul and your body remain relatively unchanged. There's exceptions. Sometimes people get immediately healed and their body changes. And there's examples that... uh, But relatively, just in general, uh, if you were thinking one way, you probably are still inclined to continue to think that way. If you were 150 pounds before you were saved and then you get saved, you're probably still 150 pounds. And it's these two areas of life, your soul and your body, that the devil attacks. Your flesh attacks. Two different ways it works. Just what's built in you, that Adamic nature, that human nature, has urges and cravings that drives you in areas as a believer that you know, ah, that's forbidden! That's why a lot of times people don't want to learn the Word of God. Because the more they learn, the more they're accountable. So I want to be like uh, uh, Jim Carrey and Dumb and Dumber. Yeah, 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 yeah. Come to church and argue with the pastor and go, instead of, okay, I, I receive that. Holy Spirit, help me to change that. But this is what... Uh, God is doing in you. God is doing a work in all of us. And we're all at various stages. And it's called renewing the mind. James, Pastor James, the first pastor of the New Testament church, calls it saving your soul. Look at James chapter 121. In James 121, he teaches, get rid of all the filth. Cancel some of those channels on your TV. You don't need HBO anymore. You don't need Disney Channel anymore. 
<laughs> you don't need to support Netflix anymore unless they're willing to change and modify their programming. Yeah. Amen. Get rid of the filth, it says, and get rid of the evil in your life and humbly accept the word God has planted in your heart. For it has the power to save your soul. Why does Satan come immediately to steal the word? Because as James is pointing out, once that word is planted in your heart and begins to take root, that's what has the power to save your soul. That's where the power to renew your mind, to live out what is called being a new creation, that's where the power comes from, the Word of God. And so if you're a Spirit-filled believer that's hungers and thirsts after the things of God, you have the power to be victorious over sin and over immorality. This is why God reveals Himself as Jehovah Makedesh, the Lord our Sanctifier. This describes a process that God takes us through to separate us from sin and to give us the power over our flesh. So we're not just little flesh creatures following every urge and every craving. When your flesh is in charge, your spirit isn't. Right? If we just live by the dictates of the flesh, how do you feel? Feelings come from the flesh. I'm not training myself to ask how I feel about this relationship or whether this uh, type of illicit act is right or I don't want to. Well, the flesh doesn't want you to talk about all of that or think about all of that because the flesh enjoys all of that. But God says, I want to sanctify you, separate you from those things, put you in charge and in control of those things, because it will save your soul. The good news is, it it will happen. The bad news is, it's not automatic. If it was automatic, it is just, bam, your soul is saved. Bam, your mind is renewed. doesn't happen that way. It's an ongoing process of submitting our will to God's will. Every day on some level we're saying, not my will, but thine be done. And so that's where the our word comes in. A lot of churches don't like the our word, responsibility. Response able. I am able to respond to all of these cravings, these temptations, these sinful activities and desires, these works of the flesh. I will stand my ground against those things. Got to be willing to fight back. Put up a fight. (laughs) Right? Because if we don't, then the devil will scheme us, con us, and begin to use desires and drives that are embedded in us against us. And if we weren't supposed to work on repelling that kind of stuff, God wouldn't have told us to practice self-control. Right? 
2 Timothy 1.7, God's not given us a spirit of fear, a sound mind, a disciplined mind, a mind that is self-controlled. It doesn't wander. God would have never told us to resist the devil if we weren't supposed to put up a fight. He would have never said, fight the good fight of faith if we weren't supposed to fight and use our faith as a weapon of our warfare to cast down every imagination that exalts itself against the Word of God. Paul taught Timothy to run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. 2 Timothy 2.22 Run from that thing. Run, Forrest! (laughs) Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with a pure heart. Yeah, so we come to church, but then we get in bed with all these Netflix and Disney things. Stop doing that. Run from that stuff. Amen? What we're talking about is spiritual warfare, right? Joyce Meyer wrote a book called The Battlefield of the Mind. What we think about every day, day in and day out, eventually will manifest. Because as a man or a woman thinks in their heart, so are they. So if we think about all the righteous things, the holy things, the godly things, all of a sudden we'll start bearing fruits of righteousness. And the opposite is true. Uh, in, in our first church, we've only had two churches, one in Seattle, then in Portland, and that church moved here to Dallas, to uh, Bedford now. Uh, but way back in the, uh, the early days, uh, we studied the book of Romans and Romans 8 quite a bit. Romans 8. Turn over to Romans 8, 5. And it's uh, another key scripture to help us understand the battlefield of the mind, renewing the mind, saving our soul, and uh, uh, learning how to do that so that we can control uh, illicit desires. Romans 8.5 says those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. Duh. <laughs> right? That's, that's pretty self-explanatory. Those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. Hallelujah. So let your sinful nature, so letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. Why aren't things working out? Because your thinking's not right. Letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Who wants more life and peace? Let the Spirit control your mind. How do I do that? Well, the foundation is the Word of God. God's instructions. Principles for successful living. Okay? Verse 7, the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. Amen. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. 
praise God. So that's the background uh, for today's lesson. That we can control our sinful nature. We can be transformed and our souls can be saved. And when it comes to Leviticus 18... God gets into one area, I know it can be a little uncomfortable, because he's describing the sinful nature of immoral sexual relationships. And God is saying that there are specific sexual behaviors and relationships that cross the line. They cross what God defines as moral, and ethical, and biblical. That's not legalism. Well, I studied Leviticus. Oh, that's all legal. No. We need more of Leviticus 18 (laughs) in our society. And part of our Christian duty is to renew our minds to what God says is a healthy relationship. And then that means that we need to begin to partner with the Holy Spirit to control our emotions, our desires, our passions, our feelings, and our actions. This is how you save your soul. So Leviticus 18 lays it down in black and white. Now you may have a problem with this, but if you do, you have a problem with God. You have a problem with the Bible. God says it's forbidden for a brother to have sexual relationships with a sister. Incest. God said it's forbidden for an adult to groom a child for the purposes of a sexual relationship. I know we don't often talk about these things, and it can get a little bit uncomfortable, but look at what's happening in our world today. And if the church doesn't stand up and say, "Uh uh-uh, not on our watch, then these people are just going to run rampant and roughshod. It's forbidden for men to dress like women. It's forbidden for men or women to sleep with or marry multiple partners. This is all in Leviticus 18. It's not legalism. It's biblical common sense. It's God's laws. It's forbidden to have children out of wedlock. And look, we could go on and on. I don't want to, you know, just, you know, throw the book at everybody. But I'm in agreement with this, are you? I'm in agreement with what God says that prostitution is forbidden, that pornography is forbidden, that pedophilia is forbidden, and on and on and on. Are we okay with that? In reality, these relationships are a perversion of God's design and what it means to love. A proper relationship between husband and wife, a proper sexual relationship, is meant to be a time of love, of affection and intimacy. You're building a closeness, and God approves of that. But what we're witnessing today and what is being described as love today isn't God's kind of love. 
it, it's uh, really, it, it's, and the Bible uh, shows us this, it's love derived from the ancient Greek word eros. It's where we get the word erotic. And it's the Greek word for sexual love. And this word in Greek means uh, sensual and carnal, uh, following impulses to satisfy a sexual desire. The root word, this is an interesting uh, meaning, means to demand, to beg, to ask. So this concept of eros love isn't a giving kind of love, but it's more about demanding what we want so that my desires, my impulses can be fulfilled. Hollywood's real good at showing this, but it isn't love at all. It's all about what I desire and what I lust for. There's another biblical word for love called in Greek stergo, and that means devotion. To cherish affectionately. And it's primarily used to describe love that exists within a family. I cherish my family affectionately, but not to the point where I want to have sexual relations. That's forbidden. That's not legalism. It's just the law. Unfortunately, this particular word... Uh, comes up in a negative sense in 2 Timothy 3, verse 1. Look at this. In 2 Timothy 3, 1, it says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, Boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty. Man, that's a long list. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. From such people, turn away. So when this word love comes up in all its different forms here in 2 Timothy 3, it's translated without natural affection. So Paul is saying in the last days, just before the Messiah comes, there's going to be a groundswell of unnatural affection. One of the signs of the end times. There'll be a breakdown in traditional family. Children will be taught different things by other people about what love is and what love isn't. And there'll be a a deterioration of family values and a rise in unnatural love, unnatural affection. Read Romans 1 if you want to get more of the scoop on that. We don't have time today. We're witnessing that today, and we really are real. Man, we are in perilous times. You watch things like uh, the libs of TikTok, <clears throat> and the libs of TikTok is a uh, uh, this righteous, godly woman 
goes in and finds all of these bizarre rants that elementary school and day school and high school teachers are teaching kids and they just rant about unnatural affections. I won't get into the details. And then, of course, Twitter banned them, social media. Because, but all, all the, the lady was doing was showing people their own videos. This is the videos that people are putting online describing how they're going to take advantage of your children and grandchildren. Perilous times. That's just one example. God's love, hallelujah, a love that He wants to reproduce in us is called agape love, ahava love in Hebrew. If you go into Galatians 5.22, you'll see the fruits of the Spirit list. You'll see the works of the flesh, then you'll see the fruits of the Spirit, and that list starts with love. That's the word agape. John 3.16 says, God so agaped the world that He gave Jesus Christ. Agape love has been shed abroad in our hearts. And it's meant to cause us to see others with admiration, with respect, with esteem, with a sincere appreciation. And it compels us to sacrifice ourselves. Love in the biblical sense, the agape sense, is a sacrificial love. And it moves us to do things to help others and be a blessing to others. Who's trying to do that in your life? Be a blessing to others. Help others. That's a, a selfless love, not a selfish love. Jesus said, no greater love than if one lays down his life, goes out of his way to be a blessing, sacrifices himself. But right now the world is teaching just the opposite. They're teaching all kinds of bizarre things. And it's not our job just to sit back and let them run rampant. They're coming out of the closet in droves. And they are trying to change all the time-honored moral boundaries uh, in society. And they want every relationship to be defined in sexual terms. Don't try to tell my two-year-old to think about whether he's a boy or a girl. Who gives you the right? And then they'd say openly, even the president said openly, that teachers, when, when, that when you send your child to school, that child belongs to the teacher. I just heard him say that on TV the other day. I said, who are you to say something like that? It used to be that this group of folks would say, if you let us have our way for the sake of tolerance and diversity, we'll try and peacefully coexist. That's what they used to say. Not anymore. It's out and out war. Today our educators and politicians are forcing people to accept a lie. What kind of lies? Well, how about this one? Your gender isn't decided when you're conceived. Oh, biology is no longer the method on which we decide? Oh, no, we've changed to feelings. 
Oh, okay, so let's just throw out thousands of years of proven science. For the group that says, we follow the science, here's where we're not following the science. Hey, the truth of the matter is the LBGTQ plus movement are full of activists that will never be satisfied, never be happy. They're not done adding letters. That's why they put the plus there. They're not done adding letters. Pedophile is right around the corner. And they're not going to stop until everybody is forced to believe and submit to their way of thinking. That's demonic, folks. But we've reached a point, perilous times, Jesus said in the last days, Noah, Lot, that's what it's going to look like. You know what happened at Lot's front door. We don't often talk about Noah and the Nephilim, but pretty bizarre relationships. So for these powerful activists, they have no self-control, there's no boundaries, no basic morals or decency. And children, by and large, there's my little two-year-old grandson. He's a target. Somebody targets my and tries to groom my little grandson. You're in big trouble. Who would be behind these blatant attacks to normalize transgenderism in babies? Who's behind the attempt to criminalize parents who object to this kind of indoctrination? Who's behind that? Why are corporations like Disney resorting to promoting a full range of LGBTQ plus agendas? Why do we uh, see it continue to devolve to the point now, here's the latest trend in schools, these are secrets you keep from your parents. Why does the President of the United States get up on national, international TV and endorse transgenderism for every child of every age? Even vowing, he vowed, I saw it, witnessed it with my own eyes and ears, I will fight Florida for passing their law to say, you can't indoctrinate kids with sexual stuff at three, five, seven. This one really got me. Why is it that the latest nominee for Supreme Court, when asked to define what a woman was, claimed that she couldn't define what a woman was because she wasn't a biologist. You want to be on the highest court in our land? That's your philosophy? And we're going to vote for that and approve that? And people are going to... And there's... Look, Republicans are voting her in, as well as Democrats. So we got to have discernment here. I love what one person says, I'm not a veterinarian, but I know the difference between a dog and a cat. <laughs> and look, this is going on everywhere. God bless our uh, uh, attorney general who learned about Pride Week in the Austin public school systems. And uh, the teachers were trying to keep it a secret. But... Uh, Ken Paxton got alerted to this, that they were breaking a law, Texas law, 
and they uh, he encouraged parents to take action. But listen to what he said. By hosting Pride Week, your district has at best undertaken a week-long instructional effort in human sexuality without parental consent. Or worse, your district is cynically pushing a week-long indoctrination of your students that not only fails to obtain parental consent, but subtly cuts parents out of the loop. Either way, you're breaking the law. And he goes on from there. Where's the church in all of this? Why aren't there more pastors and churches making a vocal stand? Right? We're the ones that should be defining what's right and what's wrong. If, if America's soul is going to be saved, the church needs to be at the forefront. Well, I don't want to hurt it. don't want to upset the app. Let me tell you something. The devil is 24-7 upsetting the apple cart, and everyone's out of the closet except the Christian. We need more pastors speaking out. That's been our responsibility. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We need that kind of church to emerge. We need a great spiritual awakening in America and around the world in the church to stand for religious standards and and, uh, object to the power of the state who's coming in now to enforce a new set of values and beliefs. This is why we need to vote. It's also why people are trying to have uh, election shenanigans because they know they can't win on the issues. Most people aren't down with this kind of stuff. Yeah? So we need election shenanigans so that uh, we can stuff the ballot box and get our way. In the end, it's the devil, father of all lies. But I got to thinking about this in closing, that the devil's trying to create social chaos by perverting and overturning Genesis chapter 1. Creation. In the beginning, God created male and female. 127 genders. In the beginning, God ordained the sanctity of life and marriage. In the beginning, He told man to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. So Satan is working to dismantle Genesis 1 and that mandate. It's deception at the highest levels. So what do we do about this? You and I need to renew our minds. We need to realize that part of our mission is that we need to make sure our family souls are protected. And we need to extend that into the community and into the nation that we are promoting people, electing people, and supporting people that stand for Bible values. And on a practical level, 
it means that we need to practice some self-control. Let's not, let's not be uh, holier than thou. Let's not say, don't, don't watch what I do, just listen to what I say. That can't be the Christian motto. We need spiritual discipline. Reading our Bible, obeying the Word, praying to God, submitting to His guidance, letting the Holy Spirit come in and, and help us to renew our minds so we can grow in Christ, grow in righteousness, grow in holiness, grow with godly vision. That's what will bring us closer to the Lord. It will bring America closer to the Lord. And we're all going to be rewarded as we do that. Who wants to be rewarded as we do that? Amen. Well, if you agree with that, give the Lord a clap offering. Thank you on Zoom for watching. We love you. God bless you. Have a great day.